So, the internet had some things to say about our last episode. <coughs> oh, sorry. Uh, quick announcement. We now have a subreddit, r slash It's Two Brothers Podcast on reddit.com. So if you want to uh, go and comment and let us know how wrong we are about everything in this episode, feel free to go there. We would love to hear from you. All right, back to the episode. Oh, yeah, I, I avoided that that thread like the play, I have to be honest. <laughs> I was like, people are going to just rip me apart. Uh, well, they ripped us both apart. I mean, I tried to do as, uh, as much justice to your argument as humanly possible, but... Uh, Oh boy, it's always interesting yeah. when you throw something up on Reddit and then realize, oh no, we're we're not smart men, we're stupid men. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I read like the first post in that thread about just like, well, I mean, those aren't even really genres, and it was like, okay, okay, we didn't even, we weren't even close. I think I think that there were I think that there were a variety of so it's always interesting, right? When when you put an argument up on the internet. It is amazing, no matter how clearly you think you're explaining yourself, how much people could completely miss the point. Yeah, to be fair, we, I mean, I did a pretty bad job of explaining myself personally. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely... So I, I wouldn't even go so far as to defend my own arguments, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I listen back to my arguments, and I don't agree with them. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, well, because, I mean, like, there was a lot of comments. I feel like about half the comments that we got were uh, some form of, yeah, but that excludes things like JRPGs. And it's like, I literally, I literally said. Oh, my God. I literally yeah, yeah. said that we're excluding those on purpose. You know, it's like, and yeah. also the whole point is what what are we trying to exclude versus what are we trying to include? But that's neither here nor there. The thing that I want to ask you about, because I feel like this was a, a fun little central point to your argument. And uh, then somebody, because I was not aware of this, um, and then somebody basically completely shot it down as far as I was concerned. Is, so Baldur's Gate, um, does it have multiple endings? Yeah, I mean, yes. I, so <laughs> <sighs> Care to comment? It, it has multiple endings it just doesn't have like um it doesn't it doesn't really have multiple endings because the ending is always you kill the guy the the guy uh yeah fuck i can't remember his name it's okay because i've never played the game so it would mean nothing to me (laughs) so so you always kill that guy but just like how you get to the point of doing that is very like sure it doesn't have multiple endings Uh but it has every other choice is a choice Uh in that game and so it's like i'm i'm fine with it not having a technical multiple ending because it's like you know you can you can take over or we can't really take over but you can like you know be the evil guy who's like you know getting in on the ground floor of like fucking over people you know or you can be the good guy who's like you know finally defeating the evil villain and it's like you know you're defeating the evil villain both of those scenarios obviously Mm -hmm. but in one you're defeating him to like become him and in another you're defeating him because it's the right thing to do Mm. yeah I also, actually, uh, on the note of, like, just multiple endings and stuff, this is kind of an aside, but apparently just, like, there's a, um, there was a post about Bioware talking about, how, like, the Mass Effect Renegade versus Paragon, uh-huh. and apparently only, like, it was something crazy, like, 10, only 10% of people or something played Renegade. Oh, I saw that. That was interesting. That was because cra- I always play the evil character, uh, evil side. So you're the 10%. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's you. It, it was weird. In fact... Actually, I went back uh, recently and played KOTOR 1 and 2 again, because mm-hmm. I'd always, you know, in the in, when I was a kid, I'd always play the evil side, and, you know, it was always, you know, super fun, 
And as an adult, I always tried to play the light side because it was what I never saw that side of the game. Yeah. But I could never finish those games playing light side. <laughs> and so when I read back recently, I finally was like, I'm going to do another dark side playthrough. It's been like a decade. And oh my God, it's so much more fun. <laughs> I can't, I don't understand why people don't like playing the evil character. It's like, it's a thousand times better. <laughs> Uh, I always like playing the good character, but I mean, I guess I'm kind of in the majority, apparently. Yeah, apparently you're in the vast majority. That was what's so crazy to me. Yeah, I always assumed it was going to be the exact opposite. Yeah, right? I always thought, it's crazy. And like that thread, people were like, yeah, I never played Renegade. Renegade was just asshole all the time. (laughs) It was like, well, yeah, it was just asshole all the time. That's what made it so fun. (laughs) Yeah, I forced myself to do, when I played, um, what was that, uh, Dragon, Dragon Age? Mm-hmm. I, like, forced myself to do an evil playthrough, um, which I'm glad I did because I feel like that probably would have been way more fun than the good playthrough for that particular game because then, like, because Morgan's storyline was really interesting and you would never get to oh, see yeah. any of that if you do a good playthrough. So I was like, okay, I'm down with this. Yeah, well, to be, I mean, to be fair, in that game, there exists just, like, in-game cheat items for getting... Uh, your companions to like you regardless. Well, yeah, fair enough. But I did an actual genuinely evil playthrough. Yeah, I mean, that's great, yeah. So the other thing that was brought up um, in that thread, and this one kind of, this one kind of floored me because, you know, I didn't really think about this, but it's, it's a, it's a good argument. So, because we were talking about the whole, you know, concept of the difference between, like, playing an established character versus playing a character Mm -hmm. you create yourself. Yeah. And somebody said, okay, you fine. But then, so let's say you're you're sitting down to play, you know, pen and paper D and D, right? And you're like, you know, I I can't I can't be bothered to deal with all of the creating of the character thing. Can you just create a character for me, and I'll play that character? You know, so you do that. Are you all of a sudden not playing a pen and paper RPG anymore? Uh, I mean, I would argue that you get out of Dungeons and Dragons what you put into it. Mm-hmm. And I play with a few people who don't put anything in and don't get anything out. Yeah. So I would say, yes, actually, you're not playing a pen and paper RPG at that point. You're just (laughs) sitting there and occasionally rolling dice when someone tells you. (laughs) Just like, sorry, guys. Sorry. I'm sorry for gatekeeping Dungeons and Dragons. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm hitting myself right now because I'm such a bad boy. But fuck you. If you're not role playing in Dungeons and Dragons, you're just rolling dice occasionally. And, you know, that's fun. Like, have fun. Don't let me yuck your yum. Like, I'm not saying don't play Dungeons & Dragons. Like, have fun. Do whatever you want. But fuck you. You're not role-playing at that point. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Even if you role-play the character effectively, like, you are like, like, hey, I'm going to role-play this character, you know, as written. You know, it's like, I'm a paladin. I'm going to do paladin stuff. You know, I'm going to make paladin choices. I'm going to do the voices in paladin voice. okay. No, at that point, you are role-playing. And the key here is that even even if you're even if you had like this base of a character you're operating off of <clears throat> what i would say is that you don't ha- it's not like a video game where it's like programmed in right mm-hmm. like sure you might be you know doing things that you think your character would do based on the backstory you were given mm-hmm. but it's not you know a, a situation where it's like okay i have option a b c and d yeah and then i'm going to choose one based on what i think my character would do it's I'm going to do something that I think is consistent with the character I have. And at that point, yeah, it gets a little gray. Yeah, I think we're getting real into shit. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm less convinced now of the argument than I initially was after hearing that. Well, I'm, 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 I'm just shocked that I convinced you at all. So, <laughs> that's great. Maybe I don't think hard enough about things sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I mean, because 
after we had that whole discussion, I, I went back and just thought about it. And I was like, man, there are so many holes in my argument. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> and believe me, Reddit found basically 100% yeah. of them. <laughs> I'm sure that, I'm sure they found 110% of the holes. Yeah, I mean, that, that thread, I think, got up over 100 comments. And... Oh, shit. Oh, God man. On True Gaming, too. It was... Oh. It was a... Uh, That's bad. It was, it was an exhaustive flagellation of your argument. <laughs> oh, okay. I really should go and read that, I guess. Yeah. Now that it's done. It was super interesting. It was, uh, it was a good discussion. I'm glad that we did it. And, uh, you know, some of the people actually came and listened to the podcast. So if you, any of you are oh, still listening oh, now, thank you. Uh, yeah. welcome. Thanks, uh, thanks for joining us. Um, if you want to thanks for not just, like, <laughs> getting angry and never listening to us again because of my stupid arguments. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to continue berating us for all of our arguments, please continue listening and, uh, and uh, commenting on Reddit on things. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, should we talk about, uh, do we have anything to say about uh, the new Half-Life Alex trailer that came out? I don't know if you watched that at all. I actually did not. Oh, okay. We could talk about that on another yeah. episode, unless you want to, like, take a pause and watch it right now. Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Right. Oh, okay. That was it. Yeah. I mean, that looks great. Right? <laughs> uh, I mean, it looks like it looks like a video game in a way that most VR games do not. Yeah, I'm really impressed by the graphical fidelity of it. Like, I, I, I think I think I see somewhat what they're doing in that, like, a lot of the textures, they look a lot simpler, but they probably look really, really, really nice in VR because they look really, um, I, I want to say that they look a little bit, um, a, a little bit, like, smoothed over, which maybe makes it a little bit easier uh, for VR to, like, deal with, you know, them from a graphical perspective. I don't know if I'm, I mean, like, I, I know nothing about programming. It's just, like, that's, that's at first blush what it seems to me is going on, that they're kind of, like, using a slightly simpler but very, like, good-looking textures to kind of, you know, give you a, you know, a, like, the the frame rate a little bit of a boost. Uh, I don't know if you yeah. agree with that at all. I mean, I, I, I see it there. It does look a little bit... Um... I almost want to say, like, cartoony. Not actually cartoony. Yeah. But, like, there is a certain... There's, like, an unrealism yeah. to the way... Like, especially all the tiling, like, looks very, like, um, like vivid, almost. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to look incredible. I mean, it look, yeah, it looks great. Yeah. I mean, it looks great. The Zen stuff, especially, like, that, like, really organic stuff. I'm really impressed yes. by the way that that looks. I mean, like, I think a lot of that is, like, it looks like there's some, like, you know, lighting kind of tricks in there. To I, make mean, the te I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking now. The textures definitely aren't, like, uh, super high-def textures. Yeah. Just looking at it. Which is, I think is okay. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, VR, I mean, I'm, just, I'm loving all the interactivity. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's funny. Like, we, we've talked about VR on almost every single episode, um, you know, to the point where, like, it's like, this is the VR podcast yeah, with VR also podcast. some movies in the background. <laughs> um, exactly, yeah. But, you know, the more that I, and I, I feel like we've kind of danced around this issue, but it's kind of funny to me how the big thing to come out of VR is not actually the VR portion itself. It's the one-to-one -one scale motion controls, you know? <laughs> like, like, we mocked motion controls when they came out. Like, it's like, oh, like, the Wii and all this stuff. Because obviously it wasn't one-to-one. -one. And, like, even, like, to the same extent, like, yeah. things like the PlayStation Move. But, like, having actual one-to-one -one motion controls, I mean, seeing them from a first-person perspective really helps. But that ability to actually track your hand movements and pick up things and manipulate them in real time, like, that's almost the bigger deal in VR than the actual, like, VR portion. You know, I, I, it helps to 
you know, be able to have depth perception, obviously, makes interacting with objects way easier than it would be on a on a flat screen. But like, I think VR without those motion controls would just be a gimmick. I mean, I don't even know what it would. I mean, what would it be without the motion controls? Right? Like, I can't even imagine VR without those. Well, I mean, you know, you could play VR games with a mouse and keyboard. You know, like I've sat down and played like Minecraft on a mouse and keyboard because I'm like just a little bit in more VR. in VR. And it's like it's still really cool because you could still you know look around and you know see the world. It's still Minecraft. Yeah, I mean, it's still Minecraft. Um, but like it's you know playing with a mouse and keyboard is is still really cool and I really enjoy it. But like this level of interactivity with your environment. This is, I mean, this is the real, this is the real game changer, I think, with, with the technology that VR is bringing. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think, I think the, the whole, I think every game could, could stand to use these kind of controls. Somebody brought up something, um, I mean, within reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not every, yeah, maybe not every game necessarily, but. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to play Total War with motion controls. Although, if you played motion, like, you know, being able to, like, drag and drop, like, the boxes with your hands, you know, or, like, pick up and, like, move individual units where you want them to, like, you know, stuff like that, you know, might be interesting. Like, playing an RTS, like, from, like, a god standing over, like, a, you know, uh, like a big battlefield type of, uh, type of scenario. Yeah, like, a, a god game would be great with the... Oh, yeah. Controls, like, a, like a black and white. That's, that's exactly what I was Three. thinking. <laughs> Somebody, um, I was reading, uh, a thread on Reddit. A little bit, a little while back, related to VR, and somebody was saying, I think it's actually, I think it was actually in relation to this trailer, that they were saying that this is going to kind of be like, um, this is almost the the dwarf fortress of FPS, like with having you know motion controls and physical inter- interactivity, because they were saying like the big thing with dwarf fortress, right, is like it's. It's that, like, natural type of thing. I mean, like, obviously, Dwarf Fortress is not the most natural game to play. But it's like the, you know, the emergent gameplay that that exists from having literally just interacting systems and being able to say, like, okay, water, this is how water works, you know? Or this is how, you know, like, like disease works in the real world, you know? And because it's programmed into the game, it's like it reacts in a way that's that's natural. And so instead of having to create tons of contextual things, you basically just have a thing where it's like, I think this will interact this way in the real world, so let's see if it interacts that way in the virtual world. And FPS really hasn't had that kind of concept until probably, I mean, with Boneworks and now with this, of the whole kind of concept of, okay, you know, I, I think it would work if I pick up this barrel and, you know, chuck it at this guy and then, you know, shoot it while it's in the air. It's like, does that work in uh, does that work in VR? You know, it's like, if can I knock over this cabinet and see something behind it? Or, you know, can I pick up this can and dump it out? And I think these, you know, you see all these things, all these emergent gameplay items that you know it's kind of this is this is kind of like the FPS dwarf fortress moment where now we can have all of this really emergent gameplay just by having systems that interact the way that real life works see i i kind of think the original half-life 2 was that he was definitely striving towards that you know yeah. but this is i i guess maybe the logical conclusion of that yeah maybe i mean uh, breath of the wild also is another game that's like i mean i feel like emergent gameplay has become more popular as physics uh the physics engines have become more robust for doing stuff like this Mm -hmm. and i think that i mean you know obviously action adventure slash rpg games you know have trended towards this you know things like deus ex and all that um and obviously deus ex is you know is a first person shooter so so i'm kind of you know being the best fucking fps ever (laughs) it's so good i love that game man (laughs) it's so good 
Oh, she God. can get over how good they <laughs> And I didn't play it when I was a kid, so I have no rose-tinted goggles for that game. Yeah. And, and like, honestly, you know, I, I mean, you remember, I bought that game on a fluke. You know, it was going to be between that and, like, some other rando game. And I was like, well, this looks good. Yeah. Let me just buy this, you know, back in the, back in the, the like, what, Babbage's days? I, or maybe it was GameStop oh at that God. point. I, I No, I, yeah, I think, yeah. Maybe it was GameStop. I thought it was, might Babbage's have been Babbage's. was really early. Babbage's was really early. That was when I was, like, buying, like, computer games and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, before Steam, and I could just, you know, like, binge buy yeah, computer God. games. <laughs> Oh man, but yeah, no, Deus Ex is fantastic. I mean, we could we could go on forever, and we won't. We will actually talk about a movie for once. <laughs> yes. So, should we talk about a movie? Yeah, let's do it. Should we talk about the one that we just watched, Lawrence of Arabia? Why don't we talk about yeah, that one? Yeah, good. Okay, I'm really glad it was actually Lawrence of Arabia, because I was getting worried. I was like, did I watch the right movie? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, do you have any opening thoughts? Um, I mean, everything is beautiful and amazing in that movie, and it's so great. So how long ago? That's my opening thought. So okay, how long ago did you first watch Lawrence of Arabia? Because this was my first time uh, watching. Not that long ago, maybe like two years. Oh, okay, because this was a movie that I've had kind of on my movie list for some time. But I mean, being that it's, I mean, near as makes no difference, a four-hour movie. I was like, yeah, it's four hours. Yeah, it may as well be. Um, so I was like, uh, this is like, I don't. Where am I going to fit this into my schedule? Which I, you know. I say as if that every single night I don't watch, like, five hours of a television show. So, you know, like, that. Um, <laughs> Freaking Netflix, man. Just, like, yeah. destroying all my concepts of time. But, uh, <laughs> so, finally sat down and watched it. I mean, essentially, you know, uh, one hour at a time, uh, you know, with little breaks in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I cannot... It has an intermission. It does have an intermission. Um, you know, um, I, I'm, I can't last that long, you know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like oh for for me for me the first part of that movie is like nothing it flows through me i don't even notice that i'm watching like like yeah yesterday i watched it and like you know i think i think the the intermissions at like uh like two hours an hour 45 two hours I think it's around two hours yeah yeah and that first two hours for me is like is nothing i could do that a billion times and not even notice yeah that's not the big problem for me that's uh need to get up Go to the bathroom. You need to go up, oh. get a beverage. You know, like I'm like, no, I can't sit through this entire movie without like, you know, some 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 manner of of, of beverage or snack, and then also some manner of going to the bathroom every hour. <laughs> so uh, that's how that you works. Drink too much beer, Jason. Look, man, you gotta switch to hard liquor for these kind of movies. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't like, I don't know how, like, I mean, well, I do know how people do it they just you know got up went to the bathroom in the middle of movies but like uh yeah freaking i don't like you know four hour movie man like what are you doing to people yeah. you know you need yeah. breaks so you know thank god for sitting on my couch but uh, i will say that you are absolutely correct for a four i mean i've watched more than one four hour movie in my day or close to four hour i mean like seven samurai is getting up there yeah. in time wise um oh god yeah uh, apocalypse apocalypse wow i can't say that Apocalypse Now Redux, I believe, is clocks in pretty close to four hours. Oh God, really? Ooh, I never. Oh, oof. it's yeah. It's four I mean, I, I think it's maybe now. That's heavy. Maybe it's three and a half. I mean, it's still, it's long. It's a long movie, but like you know, so I'm no stranger to the you know the three four hour movie you know runtime. But uh, oh man, this movie just flew by. You know, like yeah. you barely even notice you're watching it because it's just like it it. I won't say I won't say it, it it wastes no time, but I will say that I I don't feel like like I feel like you could cut the movie down 
But I don't I couldn't tell you where I would actually cut the movie down. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I definitely couldn't either. Yeah. It's I mean, my, my my thoughts on it are just like there's a lot of movies nowadays that go out of their way to not show you what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like uh, something I thought it was like the Bourne movies, right? Like those movies go out of their way to make you not understand what's happening with the camera. Yeah. For like large portions of scenes. Mm-hmm. And this movie never does that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's this is a masterpiece of cinematography and like these yeah. big, you know, wide sweeping shots where you can, oh, I mean, like. So beautiful. I, I shudder to think the kind of like technicalness that went into shooting a movie. I mean, with all of the extras, because I mean, you know, there's no, there's no CGI to deal with all of this. It's like, you got to just corral like what, like, you know, 150 people. (laughs) Yeah, And their camels and their camels and their horses. I mean, like, I like that scene where the horses are pouring out of the, uh, the train. Oh my God. I mean, they just did that scene, you know? And it's like, you can see how scared those horses are. And you could, I could, I could imagine how, I mean, you know, I've seen horses up close. They're scary. They're huge animals. <laughs> like, yeah. You have like 200 of them leaping off of like a 10-foot jump. Oh, God. Like, so just from a technical standpoint, this movie is is just a complete and utter masterpiece, you know? Yes. But I'll tell you one. I mean, it is. Oh, yeah. It literally is. Yeah. I mean, you know, th- there's, there's a lot of movies that get described as epic, but I don't think that very many actually earn that moniker in the way that Lawrence of Arabia earns that moniker. I mean, this is truly an epic. Yeah. I mean, when I was watching it, I kept waiting for the train derailment scene. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that doesn't happen until part two. Yeah. I was sitting there like, man, when is this train derailment scene going to happen? Like, I've been watching this movie for a while. Like, what the hell's going on? It's just like, it's not even in part one at all. And that totally threw me for a loop. I was like, whoa, Wow. There's so much movie before that. <laughs> now, going into the movie, were you, um, did you know who Alec Guinness played? Oh, see that, yeah, that's interesting. The first time I watch it, it took me a few scenes with him. Me too. To realize that he was in Brownface. Yeah, I was, I was shocked at how good of a job he did with that. And like, you know... If we're going to talk, like, very, very briefly about, like, the kind of, you know, like, the culture. I mean, because when was Lawrence of Arabia made? It was, it was like, what, like, early 60s? 60s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, so, obviously. I mean, it's racist. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah, it, it is. Um, But, it like. Is. By our standards by, of modern day. Which is, you know, it's funny, though, because it's like, I mean, this shit still goes on. You know, I mean, because, like, you could talk about, like, uh, what was that movie that came out very recently uh, with Scarlett Johansson? Thunder? Oh, oh. What? The oh 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 go, Ghost, Ghost in, the in the Shell and it's like yeah why why aren't we you know casting a Japanese actress for this you know like Japanese actresses exist you know you could easily do this but whatever anyway yeah. so but I guess what I will what I will say about that is yeah a first of all had a hard time noticing that it was him and also I mm-hmm. feel like at least for the time that that was uh, as not egregious as it possibly could be. Like, comparing that to something like Mickey Rooney in Breakfast at yes. Tiffany's, which is, like, on the very other yeah, end of the oh spectrum of, like, oh, fuck, yeah. I can barely watch this movie. Yeah. Like, looking at that happening. <laughs> so bad. Like, like, oh, Jesus, that was so bad. Because I, So I was, it was interesting. I was reading some, uh, some things about the movie, and apparently he looks 
very, very, very much like the actual Prince Faisal to the point where oh. there were people that like because obviously they were filming in the region and there were people that knew him um, like and or like at least from, were familiar with what he looked like. And they thought that uh, Alec Guinness was actually Prince Faisal. <laughs> Wow, really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if that's apocryphal or not, but it's reported in a bunch of different things. So it's like, I, I find it very interesting. And apparently he, you know, him and uh, Omar Sharif, uh, who is the um, Egyptian actor that played, um, what's the guy's name? Um, Ali? Yeah, whatever the, the, the like, yeah, Sharif Ali. Yeah. Yeah, Sharif Ali. Yeah. Um, you know, he, uh, Alec Guinness and him, you know, kind of like, uh, he, he kind of helped Alec Guinness you know, do a Middle Eastern accent, you know. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because I will say, on my second watch through, it, uh, Alex Guinness's accent did bother me. Okay. A little bit. Because it, it was, it was so very much, you know, because the, the rest of the, the rest of the Arab actors are, I mean, it, at least I think they are all Arabic. They're not actually. Um, like, so the guy, you know, the guy that, um, Peter O'Toole rescues from the desert. Um, yeah. He's actually, uh, I believe he's Mexican. Oh really? Yeah. There's. A, a, oh yeah, Michael Ray. Yeah. Because I was looking all this That's up, I was right. like, I wonder how many Arabic actors they actually use, and like some of them they did, but you know. Although I will say this. So again, about like the whole Alec Guinness thing, you know. Okay. First of all, for the time, much much more tastefully yeah, a, done. A very respectful. Yes. Uh, act. Yes. Whatever. Uh, portrayal of the role. And I, I also sure. will say, I imagine that you know, like. Kind of in a sort of an ends justify the means type of scenario because a lot of the times the big the one of the major complaints too is like well you're taking away you're taking away chances for people of like you know of that you know ethnicity to mm. actually you know do these roles but this this movie did launch Omar Sharif's career and I think if some a big star like Alec Guinness wasn't attached to it I don't know if it would have had the same effect so well I'm not I'm not necessarily condoning it. I, I do say that like man, this was a this was a good thing for 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 Omar Sharif, and hopefully yeah. this opened. I hope I don't know enough about this, but I, I do hope that this opened the door for more uh, like for more Arabic actors to actually be able to you know like be in movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's obviously controversies over his portrayal, but I mean, I know uh, I think um, Egypt still plays this. As, like, a really good example of, like, Arab nationalism. Well, uh, is it Egypt? No, no I, I think, think it is Egypt, Egypt. Because Egypt was the only Egypt was the only country... I, I did some research about this movie because I was interested in kind of, like, the history of, you know, how this was, how yeah, this was I mean, reacted it's, it's, to. It's steeped in history. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, being a, a, a historical fiction, um, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah. like, I, I think Egypt was the only country that was in the Arabic world that was actually showing this because I think that um yes yeah, yeah. the the other yeah like um because yeah like the other Arab countries were like were, were kind of seeing this movie as you know kind of putting down um you know like the Arabic population whereas Egypt kind of saw it as the exact opposite and I also saw it as the exact opposite and I think it's actually it's kind of funny seeing this from a modern perspective because you know like with things that are going on in the U.S. and stuff like that, you know, like there's certain portions of the population that uh, don't have strong feelings towards the Arabic world, which, uh, you know, seeing this movie, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a really like nice portrayal of the Arabic world versus like almost how you see it sometimes today. It's like, have we gotten it's like almost like we've gotten like less progressive <laughs> in senses. Uh, I mean, there's definitely a, a, a bit of white savior 
going on in this movie. Yes, yes, and I, I, I I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that uh, Lawrence, like T. E. Lawrence's actual contributions, are probably way overstated in this movie. They are. They, yes, they are. But yeah. but it, but at least the Arabs are the good guys in this movie. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a really interesting historical look. I mean semi historical look at like the origins of like the modern like Saudi Arabia and Syria and like you know the Arab nation states that exist now like now have you seen um have you seen Charlie Wilson's war oh yeah definitely yeah love that movie i could not help but think about that movie while i was watching this i mean obviously charlie wilson's war less like epic in scope and all of that um well it's actually interesting because the the original script for this movie was more similar to charlie wilson's war it was more political less like epic less focus on t.e lawrence really that's interesting uh, so the original version of the film is actually very similar to charlie wilson's war that's so it's interesting you bring that That's up. That's super fascinating because, like, all like all I could think about, like, while I was watching this movie, I was like, I was thinking about Charlie Wilson's War. I was like, God, man, you know, not to get too political, but Jesus Christ, we've been fucking around in the Arab world way yeah, too I goddamn know. much. It's it's just it's it's like, man, this is the start of all the bullshit. This is the start of all the bullshit. It's like just like the fucking Sykes Pico Agreement, like oh, all that bullshit. Fuck, like, and it's like just two dudes, you know? It was like some diplomatic envoy <laughs> and some dip, other diplomatic envoy were like, "Hey, what if we carve up Saudi Arabia?" And uh, they were like, "Yeah, that sounds like a reasonable thing to do." And then they yeah, just great. did Let's it. Let's do it. <laughs> they are not going to stop us. Yeah, who's going to stop yeah, us? We have artillery. Oh my god. So yes, I I was. I was shocked at, like, how long this is. Because, like, World War One. like, I mean, I learned about Sykes-Pico in school, but I guess at the time I didn't really realize what I was what I was really learning about. No, of course not. But now, like, ha- like seeing this as an adult and kind of understanding these things, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, this has been I going know, on a right? long time. <laughs> so going to a cinematography perspective, I will say one of the things that um, struck me very early on in the movie – uh, was the match. So right before we actually get into the desert, you know, there's the the very early scenes of uh, T.E. Lawrence with walking through the halls with the, the guy from the Arab Bureau. And, uh, you know, they're talking about, um, you know, like him going into the desert. It's like, oh, I think it'll be fun, you know. And then, you know, he pulls out the match and he just holds it there for a bit, looking at it, and then blows it out and then smash cut immediately to that sunset. Oh, yeah, the sunset, yes. That... That cut, because if you if you notice throughout the movie, it's a lot of, you know, very traditional, like, you know, dissolves, you know, from one scene to another. You know what I'm talking I about? Honestly, like, I know I actually I honestly didn't notice any transitions. OK, if I'm completely honest. Yeah. There's I mean, you know, it's it's very much the old school kind of filmmaking of you dissolve, you know, from one scene to another, you know. But that's that cut was extremely abrupt. You know, it's. The match blows out, and you're instantly in the desert seeing the sunset. Yeah, well, I, I definitely have a note about that sunset scene. Yeah. That, that is, like, visually stunning. Because yeah. that cut struck me as extremely modern. Mm. That, that, that is not something I'm, I'm sure that, and actually I, I did a little bit of research on it because I wanted to see if this was the first movie. I think this was probably, this might have been the first mainstream movie that did a very abrupt cut like that. Because apparently they um, took that a little bit from, like, the French cinema. So there was a, you know... Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, yeah, of course, right? I mean, French New Wave is modern cinema. Yes, and so the French New Wave, that was one of the big things, was was that kind of, you know, very, very snappy cut. And 
to see that in a major Hollywood film, I believe for the first time, but I'm not a film history person. Um, all I know is I can't think of a movie earlier than this movie that does such a, uh, an abrupt cut like that. And from what I understand, apparently that almost didn't happen because they had, they had cut they well it wasn't actually I shouldn't say that it didn't almost didn't happen but it happened completely by accident is they were in the editing room and obviously you know the movie was cut together and they hadn't you know put in the transitions yet um and they saw that that scene you know they were watching it and they were like oh that's perfect they actually took i think maybe 3 or 4 frames out of it to make the cut even more abrupt oh and and that was the final that was the final scene which is just like that's super fucking cool to me, man. Because it's like, I saw that. I was like, wow, that is a really sharp transition for a movie from the 60s. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> so, yeah, I was I was really impressed by that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that image is so visually stunning. I'm sure that part of the reason that it's so visually stunning is that smash cut. Yes. For sure. So... The uh, the sunset scene, you wanted to talk about that. I mean, it's just, it's like, I don't even really, like, have anything, like, super deep to say. It's just, it's it's such a beautiful image. Yes. That they get. And it's just, like, the way, like, it's, like, it's, you know, it's coming off the desert sand. And it's just, oh, my God. And they do, they do another um, sunset uh, shot later in the movie mm-hmm. um, that's very similar. But it's, it's when they're crossing the, uh, the, the whatever the heck the the Nefu Desert yeah and it's the sun's anvil and it's, so it's a totally different uh, like feeling of seeing like the first time you see the sun it's like you know it's this beautiful sunset and then the sun is the enemy oh okay it's, you know it's gonna be the thing that kills them and it's just like it's so there's so many of those like callbacks using like just the visual imagery yeah that I just love yeah I mean like the you know I I probably should have paid more attention to the sunset scenes because there was a number of them and I, I imagine they all had a thematically different kind of feel to them. Um, um there was the okay, there's the first one. Mm-hmm. There's the one when they're crossing the Nefu Desert. Mm-hmm. Uh what's the is there a third one? Uh, did uh, didn't they reopen um like when he goes back to the desert, did they? Did they? Th- I feel like there was at least a third and possibly a fourth sunset, but I'm not sure. Because, because the, because the third, to me, the third shot in that scene is him coming out of the Nefu Desert with the guy he shoots later. Yeah, yeah. Because that's another like really long shot. I mean, they they also love those long shots. Yes. Oh yeah. <sighs> I mean. Yeah, I mean, we've already said it, but just, I mean, like, this is such a cinematography masterpiece. I mean, like, it's so beautifully shot, the whole thing, you know? Like, it's just really, really good. Yeah, oh my god, the scenes, oh, when he's, uh, when he's walking, like, the echoes in, like, the canyon. Oh, yeah! Like, when they, when it's, like, the British guy calls to him and it cuts to, like, that big like wide angle shot of like the huge cannon and you have to search for the british guy yeah like really hard to see this tiny little figure against these massive cliff faces and it's just like the scale is unbelievable yeah because i mean you know like yeah it's it's like i think about something like gone with the wind right um Mm -hmm. which you know another movie i mean i I can't remember when it was gone gone with wind was i think earlier than this Earlier, yeah, Gone with the Wind. Probably Gone with the Wind. It's like 1940s or something, right? I mean, yeah, maybe 50s. 1940, yeah. So definitely earlier than that. But like, you know, even still, like Gone with the Wind, like you know, oh my god, 1939. Yeah, another kind of very you know like long epic movie that you know 
um, you know, garters a lot of praise. But like even even Gone with the Wind in a lot of ways is very much shot like a still still shot like a stage play, like a play. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. Whereas like this is really like this is showing the power of filmmaking. You know, is like. These yes. angles and these these shots that like you know this this visual representation that you could just never see with something like uh, with, with something like a play and in the same thing too with that like you know when you think about like those transitions you know like those you know I, I was I was noticing all of those dissolved transitions and how like they're very traditional and that's very like you know oh curtain closing curtain curtain opening so seeing that you know very abrupt thing again it's like. This is this is showing what cinema can actually do because you I mean you can't do that you know in in a in a stage yeah. play you can't abruptly transition from one scene to another <laughs> that's just not an option. I like to see that. Yeah, that would be interesting where they just like drop the scene onto you as fast as possible. Yeah, crash. <laughs> cool. All, all the all the actors get like pulled out out of trap doors and like are like immediately yeah. replaced by new ones. They have, they have like a rope tied to their ankle and it just like yanks them back. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would be a little tricky. So like, I mean, yeah, I just like I was like some of those, especially some of those like really tall shots, like where they're showing you know like the camps, like you know like the oh. like where like yeah yeah like the. The big black tents yeah, spread off like, across the landscape. I mean, I guess, like, the, I, I'm, I'm trying to think about, like, I don't know, like, the mechanics of how they shoot those. I mean, I guess maybe they had to just, like, go up on one of, like, the rock outcroppings and film from there. Or I don't know if they yeah. were filming from, like, some type of, like, airplane or something. I don't know exactly how they do that kind of stuff, you know. I'm, I, I'm not that familiar with filming techniques as much as I'd like to be, so. I probably sound like an idiot trying to talk about this, but I, I mean, I'm almost positive none of those were aerial shots. Yeah, I mean, because we take those I mean, things for such for granted. I mean, like you know, it's like you look at that shot, you're like, oh, it's a drone shot, <laughs> which obviously yeah, not it isn't. But it's like you know, nowadays it's like you know, anybody with like 50 bucks and a camera could you know do a drone shot like that and make it look amazing. But back back in the day, it's like they had to set that stuff up, man. That was tricky. It took a lot of work, and I mean, all the extras and all the setup time. And it's like you did, you know, <laughs> cost of filmmaking back in the day yeah. was astronomical. I mean, they, they derailed a train for this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right there. Yeah. I imagine that was that was a high pressure shot of like, all right, guys, we really can't fuck this up because otherwise we don't have budget for the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> we need to. We can't get two trains. We can't get two trains. They're only going to give us one train, so we really got to get this one right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like, uh, none of this was done with miniatures, was it? That I know of. Uh, no, I mean, I may. I mean, that would make sense to do that, but I don't think. I don't. So. I mean, I, I. I don't know for a fact. I, I'd be. I'd be interested to look that up later. Um, I mean, if that train is miniature work, then that is very impressive miniature work. Yeah. I mean, actually, you know what? Now, now I want to look the train derailment. Lawrence of Arabia. If if you find out that it was done with miniatures, don't tell me. <laughs> I don't I don't want to ruin the magic. Uh, I'm having trouble finding how it was actually done. That's okay. Okay. Because it train. I mean because like yeah they have like a they have a train that's like wrecked on the side. It's probably it, it they probably uh, don't tell me how it was done because it was literally just done with a train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like what do you mean? Like what, what are you talking about? They just derailed the train. Yeah, it's like they just obviously. How else would you do it? <laughs> 
Because, yeah, I mean, I think about something like Star Wars, where it's like, I mean, obviously you can't just, you know, build ships in space. You had to do so much of it with miniatures. But it's like, yeah, this is just the old school of like, fuck it, we'll do it live, you know? <laughs> well, and that's and what's really crazy is, like, you think about something like the modern Fury Road, right? Yeah. Which is praised for its practical effects. Yeah. But if you go back and look at, like, the original, like, without any CGI or, like, you know, uh, filters or anything, like... It looks a little boring, actually. Yeah. Like, it's it's a little bit, like, less impressive. And it's just, like, so even now, like, stuff that is praised for being practical is still pretty CGI. And and this is no CGI. Yes. <laughs> this is only practical. Yeah, predates the invention of CGI. <laughs> and it's better. I, I It's better. Yeah. It is an amazing, amazing, like, just from a visual it's perspective. A yes. So now, uh, what did you think about the score of this movie? I mean... It's good. It's it's very epic uh-huh. and amazing, uh-huh. and it's very one note. Yes. Okay. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. Oh, God. <laughs> it is the same music the whole time, the and it does... You do notice that at a certain point. Oh, God. Okay, so this... Because this... I mean, this score won, like, an Academy Award, and it's, like, beloved and all that stuff, and I was like, am I the only one that thinks that it's, like, only okay to like kind of weird and somewhat grating at times because there was a couple scenes like especially the scene where like um the kids like are like watching him like sit and look off into the desert where like the music just does this really weird fucking thing where it just goes like all over the place for a bit before finally resolving into like the main lawrence of arabia theme and i was like what emotion score are you trying to make me feel right now because if it's confusion then you know and kind of like mild annoyance then i mean you've nailed it but like what 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 is going on here this movie is overscored that's what i'm gonna that's what i'm gonna say they just it's it's an old movie so like i get it that's a thing that they do they just fucking score every single part of the movie and they just like beat you in the face with like there's gonna be music in every scene to deal with it there's there's no way around that but like it could be better (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely there definitely are many many moments in the film where it was just like you can just shut up. Yeah. Like let the filmmaking speak for itself. I don't need the score. Yeah. That's a very modern attitude, I feel. Yeah. But like I guess like even without cuz like I think about this, right? Like I compare that I don't know, go back to it. Star Wars, like Star Wars is aggressively scored, you know, to be sure. Like yes. there is there is no shortage of music all over Star Wars, but like I mean Star Wars when did Star Wars come out? Uh, in the eighties, I believe, or no seventies, right? Seventies, so like. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you, 1977, so eighties, essentially. 80s. Yeah, yeah, I was, I, I knew it was seven. I, I, th- I, I thought it was before late seventies. Yeah, because it was in the eighties zeitgeist because so many people had seen it by then. So, um, all right, but like Star Wars, like aggressively scored, like it's constantly throwing music at you, right? But yeah, you know. John Williams, man, he just nails it, you know? Like, like, there's never a time when I'm like, oh, man, I really wish that the score wasn't here. Like, you know, I'm just like, oh, no, this is beautiful or, 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 or menacing or whatever it needs to be at any moment. And, like, you know, even though it's very, like, this is the emotion you're supposed to be feeling with the music, like, it works. It works, and I love it. Whereas in this movie, I was like, okay, it's the Lawrence of Arabia theme again, slightly changed. And, like, that's sort of interesting, but it's like, it didn't, it didn't need... It needed something else. I I shouldn't I shouldn't be I sh- my attention shouldn't be drawn to the score. You know, it should complement the movie, not just be there and be like, hey, I'm a score. Listen. So I I don't know. I was I, I, I didn't I didn't I honestly didn't notice it that much. 
There were a few scenes where I was like, oh, look, it's Lawrence of Arabia score again. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't my it wasn't my favorite. It was for me, it was the weakest point of the movie, which is crazy because it's like super universally praised. So, you know, what the fuck do I know? Right. <laughs> Probably nothing. I mean, I do. I do have a, a few friends who like only listen to movie scores. <laughs> That's interesting. And it's just like, wow. Like, I mean, do you, man, but oof. Hey. That's, that's rough. Yeah, that's 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 something all right. But hey, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to tell somebody to live their life. You know, if that's what makes you happy, go for it, man, you yeah, know. Do it. Just just Have watch fun. your watch your watch your movie scores. Watch your movie scores. Watch your, please don't watch your movie scores. Sounds like please listen to them. Yeah. Sounds sounds, sounds like somebody's mom. Just go watch your movie scores. Ah, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I cannot talk about this movie without talking about Dune. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this sure. this movie came out two years before Dune, and wow, really? I, that's all. That's all. Two years. Well, Dune crazy. was written pretty early, right? Um, so this movie came out two years before Dune. So I mean, I maybe he was in the process of writing it, but from what I understand, Lawrence. Oh wait, you mean the book came out? The book Dune. Okay. Yeah. See, I thought you were talking about the movie, and I was like, wow, really? No, 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 no. The book, old? Dune. What? The book, yeah, Dune. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, two years before Dune was written. And, um, I, I mean, this is obviously, obviously an influence on Dune. Like, to, I mean, it is, I believe that, like, Frank Herbert even, like, has said, like, the Lords of Arabia was, you know, one of the things that, because mm. you, when, I mean, I know you haven't read Dune, but you've, you've seen, you've seen the movies. Yeah. I've um, seen the movie multiple times. So I'm I'm on the third book now. I've I've, I've third the third of six books. Oh, you're in the danger zone. I'm in. The, well, I'm, I think I'm gonna finish it. I, I I like it so much at this point that I don't think I'm, there's any way around it. I think I'm gonna have to finish it. Oh, good. I'm gonna have to because I I need to read God Emperor. Like it's so good. And like if I read God Emperor, I'm gonna read uh, Heretics and Chapter House. So like it's just mm-hmm. it's it's gonna happen. Go. I got no choice. Um, which by the way, if you ever get around to reading Dune for whatever reason, uh, I would love to talk about it because I freaking love that. It, it's one of the it's I have Dune, the Wheel of Time series, and Salem's Lot on my computer, and I need to read Dune and Salem's Lot both. Yeah, you absolutely do. Um, read Dune first because uh, I won't probably be reading Salem's Lot and I would love to talk about Dune (laughs) but I mean Dune is right up my alley super powerful guy taking control of the universe I mean god I mean it's like written for me yeah so like the peril I mean so you've seen I don't know how far the first movie goes um in terms of Dune but I'll I'll keep it I'm aware of the greater story of Dune in general so I can talk about it oh okay fair enough I mean I I I I, I don't want to really do Dune spoilers in here too much but like I'm gonna talk just kind of general about like you know how Dune because I mean some of the big things of Dune are you know uh an individual that isn't from you know this desert area kind of you know, coming into that desert area and having to acclimate to it and, you know, be mm-hmm. part of it. Um, and this kind of like, you know, th- the same kind of like savior from the outside world type of themes. Oh, I mean, it's almost one-to-one. I mean, the Freemen are obviously Arabs. I mean, yep. like, very clearly, that's what they are. You pronounce um, it Freeman? Fremen. Fremen, okay. <laughs> Fremen, sorry. Yeah, Fre- Fremen. Fremen. <laughs> Wake up, Gordon Fremen, <laughs> and smell the ashes. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. (laughs) What universe is this? I know, right? 
<laughs> oh god all right well we'll ha- we definitely have to talk i mean that's coming out soon we're gonna have to talk about that when that actually comes yeah. out but um so you know like the uh, but the thing that i th- think is most striking is if he was in the middle of writing dune uh before lawrence of arabia came out i i cannot believe that the blue eyes of the fremen were not inspired by peter o'toole's portrayal of t lawrence like yeah i mean no has I, to be has i to feel be. like I feel like he he watched that movie and then went and started writing Dune. I I can't believe that he didn't. Like if if yeah. that isn't the way that it happened, I am completely shocked because like you know, it's just it's just such an interesting kind of like convergence of things that are happening in my life. It's like I've been meaning to read Dune for so long. I've been meaning to watch this movie for so long. It's like, "Oh, okay. They have very very similar themes." It's just yeah. super interesting. But like, oh, so like, yeah. I I got another layer of interest out of it just by, you know, being able to compare it to to Dune and just thinking about like, "Wow, there's a lot of parallels here. This is really and like the whole, you know, concept of like a fighting force that nobody really thought to take advantage of." You know, yeah, and that like, it, they, and they use like you know hit and run tactics, and they come out of the desert like ghosts. Yes. and I mean it's 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 one to one. Yeah, really. and the uh, the concept of him like you know when he gets his um, when he gets his like uh, chic robes or whatever they are or Sharif robes. Sheik, yeah. sheik. That's that's Legend of Zelda, not Lords of Arabia. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, sh- Sharif robes. Sharif robes. But Sharif, yes. Yeah. Sharif. Sharif robes. Like, it's like, it kind of, you know, like, it just reminds me of, like, the still suits in uh, in, in Dune and, yeah. like, the whole concept of, like, okay, you know, that's that's the mark of being part of that community is, is also donning the garments of that community. Like, it's just, like... Ah, oh, I, I I really I really enjoyed those those parallels while watching the movie and having that other layer just kind of just just added to my enjoyment. I'm surprised it's taken me this long to watch it. Yeah, I mean it's it's one of those movies that it's like you know it's going to be amazing, mm-hmm. and so it's just like you don't really need to like you know you almost don't need to watch it in a way. That being said, though. I, I find that this movie is way more um, is way more watchable. Obviously, it was a four hour movie, and I breezed through it. Um, to something like Citizen Kane, which is, I would say, equally uh, if equally if not more influential on filmmaking yes. itself. But fuck, man, Citizen Kane is a chore to watch. Yes, this movie is right in that sweet spot. I mean, I feel like the 60s is right where movies start to become really watchable, mm-hmm. honestly. Because it, it's like, they're kind of, they're out of like, um, they're out of the stage play stuff, like, you know, uh, a, a streetcar named Desire has come out. I'm pretty sure already at this point. Let me check that so I don't sound like an idiot. It's another movie that I haven't uh, watched, but I should. <laughs> streetcar named Desire, 1947. Oh, it's a play. Wait, shit. Uh, when's the movie? Oh, come on. Why don't you even? Why is the 1951? Okay, yes. So this definitely came out after that. And so it's just like you know, you have actual acting, which by the way, we need to talk about the acting in this movie because it's amazing. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but like you have the acting, like you're no longer a play. Like so, the '60s is where everything kind of accumulates into what we think of as modern film to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. This is this is where movies start to seem more familiar to what we're currently used to, versus yes. you know watching something that is very obviously old. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about the acting because I mean, obviously, Peter O'Toole. I mean, this is his debut, if I recall correctly, right? Like, I mean, I think he was a stage actor before, and this was his first movie. Uh, I mean, it wasn't his first. It wasn't his first movie, but it was his first big break. Yeah, well, because I mean, it has the whole introducing Peter O'Toole. So you know, yeah, yeah, because his first movie is Kidnapped, then Savage Innocence, uh, then The Day They Robbed the Bank of England, then Lawrence of Arabia. 
Okay. And this is, yeah, obviously his first big, big movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just like the way he portrays the character is like so delicate. Mm-hmm. Like for, for someone who has as much impact and does the kind of like, like, you know, military campaigning in the desert, like that's a man's work. But he's like, you know, a little like, you know, effeminate a little bit and nervous and like he's a little bit delicate. He's delicate. Like it's, it's amazing. Like and and it- to see him pull that off, even like in the first scene where he like the way he walks even is like. You can feel that nervous energy just flowing off of him. Mm-hmm. No, he's got a he's it's a very reserved performance in, in a in a time when we're still not quite out of the, you know, over the top like stage acting in movies like era. Yeah. Like that that still has and like, you know, and there's still a little bit of that, but it's not like the, you know, hey Johnny, we got some things going on over here. We you know, it's like that that that's kind of not yeah. there, you know. <laughs> We've 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 we started to move on from that. <laughs> um, yeah, and thank God we moved on from that. Yeah, I mean, like you know, there's plenty of movies that are like that that are good and that I enjoy, but it's there's definitely there's definitely a feeling of datedness to it that doesn't exist in this movie. Although it is interesting, you talk about his effeminate portrayal because, like you know, obviously he. So the his performance, from what I understand, because I, I again this is another thing I looked up afterwards because I was like I was like am I imagining this? I'm like I'm not imagining this, right? It's like um because he's portraying him as gay, yeah, which was a, from what I understand based on a book that was written about T. E. Lawrence that has since been kind of like I guess not I want I don't want to say debunked, but basically they're like that was not really an accurate portrayal of him, like based on like the people that knew him. Like, most people that knew him actually saw him almost kind of more, like, just asexual. He was just kind of, like, totally focused on his work and nothing else. Which I imagine at the time probably tracked for a lot of people as, like, oh, he's not that interested in women. What's going on with that guy? You know, whereas, like, you know, now we kind of know it as this kind of, like, all right, he was just, he was, he probably just wasn't interested in anything, you know? Like, other than his... Yeah, or, or, or he was gay and he didn't want to, you know, get, like... Uh, oh god, what's the what's who's the guy who did the Enigma machine? Um, oh yeah, uh, the uh, Alan Turing, like chemically castrated. Yeah, Alan, you didn't want to get Alan Turing and like get chemically castrated. Yeah, well, I mean, there there's there's definitely you know a possibility for that, but um, so who knows? So who knows? But like, yeah, I mean, his portrayal, it's so yeah, because it's like you know he's very um, he manages to come across as very commanding, while at the same time not being over the top and not be like, there's no, there's no real, like you said, there's no machismo to the character, but there is a lot of, yeah, but there is just like a lot of like, he's got presence, you know, and he just feels very much like it's like, you know, the, the man, the only man for the job, you know, it's like, he's the one who knows what to do. And he comes across that way without seeming like boisterous. Yeah. It's, it's, it's such a subtle acting job. Yeah. It's so impressive to see, like, uh, and the close-ups when he's, like, just, like, you know, he has, like, that, like, you know, starting to get a little teary-eyed almost. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, oh, like, oh, the scene where, where the, uh, the the Turkish shoulder is shooting at him after the train derailment. And he's just standing there. Yeah. And it's just, like, oh, my God. <laughs> how, do, how do you even begin to get into that mindset to do that kind of acting? Yeah. And I mean, like, this is like the old school, you know, of acting. This is before, like, oh, all yeah. of, like, the method acting. There was acting. no... Yeah. There was no method acting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and so, like, it's... it's Because it's funny, you know, you, you hear so much about that in the modern day of, like, oh, like, they really got into the character. But it's like, you know, 
it's almost like the difference between like, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, how can you not get into a character if you literally just try to live their life for your the entire duration of the movie? Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, I imagine that, like, you know, he he just shows up and he just freaking turns it on, you know? And it's like, yeah, exactly. I almost, I I think, I like, as much as method acting is, I mean, you know, like the Daniel Day-Lewis's and stuff of, you know, of the world and, like, how amazing they are. Like, I mean, I almost, there's a part of me that respects this more because it's like you just show up on set. You're like, okay, cool. One, two, three, I'm T. Lawrence now. Go. And it's like, yeah. holy shit, no. man. <laughs> I agree 100%. <laughs> If someone paid me a million dollars, I'd be willing to like you know pretend to be fucking who who cares you know tell me I'll I'll, I'll act like them for a year yeah you know <laughs> like I got no problem with that I can do that I feel like I could method act I'm sure I can't and I'm sure that I'm just talking out my ass yeah but I feel like I could method act I can't act yeah when I uh when I, when I post this on Reddit I think that'll be the uh, the the title of the thread of Steven says that he can method act. <laughs> Oh great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, just keep, just keep those angry comments coming. It feeds me. <laughs> oh yes, I love the feedback, especially when it's angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's hey. You want that passion? You got to have that passion. There's, the, there's, there's nothing that incites an internet flame war like being wrong. <laughs> Oh, man. So, go ahead. Speaking of the other actors, I mean, we've already talked about Alex's Guinness portrayal as Prince Faisal. Yes. I mean, we're good there. Yes. Um, Omar Sharif. Yes. His character has the biggest arc, I feel, in the whole film. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, if Lawrence is just kind of like the, the person that moves the story along, like, you know, he, yes, um, Sharif Ali, you know, Omar Sharif, uh, Wait, okay, wait a second. Is it as is it actually? Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, Omar Sharif as Sharif Ali. They really weren't very creative at all with that name. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's funny too because it's like because he was a made up character from what I understand. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Which I think gave them license. Like, apparently, he was a composite character. So, like, from what I understand, Uh, there's some people that argue he did actually exist, but I think the prevailing theory is that he is a that he's a composite of of multiple people. Um, and I think that was great because it gave them a lot of license to take him in whatever direction they wanted. And, oh, man, yeah, I mean, like, you know, kind of having him evolve over time of being this, you know, very, like, like angry, like, savage dude, you know, that just, you know, kills in cold blood to just, you know, kind of, like, becoming this almost, like, diplomatic type of character. Yeah, like an actual leader. An actual leader. Yeah, and it's, like, it's really good, you know? Like, I... And Omar Sharif, I mean, he does a fantastic job in this movie. Yeah, and the way his character's, like, even his character's opinion of um, T. Lawrence, yeah. like, is so, like, it's so nuanced. Like, he, he hates him at first, and then he kind of comes to respect him, and then he falls back into kind of thinking, like, oh, this guy. Yeah. And it's just like, and by the end, it's just like, you know, he, he moves beyond him in a really satisfying way. Yeah. Like, he re- Oh, and I really so good. I, I I feel like that's um that happens for a lot of people in this movie. It's 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 kind of interesting of like you know because in a lot of movies you have a main character who has some growth um and that's mm-hmm. kind of the yeah. uh, that's that's the thread of the movie. That's what pushes the movie forward. And yet in this movie, it seems like you have a character uh, who stays relatively consistent throughout the film and then moves everything around him. Yes, which because I mean like you yeah. know the reporter. Um, you know, his fellow, uh, his fellow soldiers, like back in, back in Cairo, you know, everybody's opinion of him evolves and changes over time as he shifts the literal events of the movie. And I can't, 
I can't think of as very many movies that have that type of an arc to them. Yeah, because it's 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 generally a boring character. Yes, and if he manages to like make that. it not boring. <laughs> yeah, because the nuance, his nuance is just, it's. there's always that doubt in that character. And then, you know, when he gets tortured by the Turkish general. Yes. That doubt finally manifests. Also, I'm just, I'm just reading the wiki here, and I just want to note. Apparently, the guy who played the Turkish general uh-huh. paid more than O'Toole and Sheriff combined. And he got a Porsche. Really? That man knew how to fucking... Uh, argue for for salary. <laughs> yeah, well, he knew he was only in that movie for like two seconds. Yeah, is he a famous actor? Apparently, apparently, Peter O'Toole once said that he learned more about screen acting from Ferrer, the guy who played Turkish Bay, the the Turkish general guy, uh-huh. than any acting class. So apparently, he's like an amazing actor. Interesting, because I I can't I can't think of what what else I've seen him in. But I mean, you know, yeah, neither can I. He also was in makeup, probably so. Yes, yes, he was. He's <laughs> so, Puerto Rican, not Turkish. Yeah. Who is but that? yeah, I mean, oh, and everyone is just so, mm, even the kids, like, usually I find those kind of characters really annoying. Oh, they were great. They did they an great. excellent job. And they're like, oh, and then when he dies, and he's like getting like killed in the quicksand, oh, God, that scene. Mm-hmm. Mm, just like, because you think he's going to save him. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah, get him, yeah, and then he dies. Yeah. And, and, like, that kind of has that, you know, um, that theme of just the desert as a character, you know, just kind of swallowing all these people whole, you know? Yeah. And, like, it just it's, um, you know, in the same way of, like, the, the, kind of, uh, the kind of themes with, like, him going back for that guy and then inevitably having to kill him of, like, you know, mm-hmm. the desert chooses who lives and survives, you know, like, who survives and who dies, you know? Yeah, oh, I love I love the little throwaway line. I mean, it's it's not really a throwaway line, but it's the like the older Arab guy that's been with them the whole time is just like he casually just goes like, "Oh, it was written." Yes, and it's just like, "Oh, yeah, it was written." Actually, even 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 T. Lawrence can't really fight fate. Yes, and I think that's I think that's an that's such an important moment in the film because he like he realizes yes. he's like, "Oh shit," you know what. <laughs> Like, maybe I'm not as in control as I think I am. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the whole, that's the whole movie is him realizing that, like, you know, I'm not Arab. Like, I am, I'm a British guy. Yes. Like, ultimately. Yes, I'm always going to be the insurgent. I'm never going to be able to, like, you know, I can't be the leader of these people, you know. Like, I can't control yeah. this world. Like, they need to lead themselves, you know, and they need to have their own, like, you know, they need to have their own autonomy. It's like, you know, you're just trading one British general for another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that's oh, no good. God. Mm. But um, it's also interesting, too, like, the whole concept of, like, the desert just kind of being this, you know, like, I mean, well, it is a force of nature, but, like, this, you know, kind of, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little, yeah. Th- this force that just, you know, basically has its own, you know, its own agenda and just, you know, kind of, like, it, you know, takes who it takes and lets survive who it lets survive is, I mean, that's, you know, again... I wonder where Frank Herbert got that from, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, like, I could not help but, like, in that in that exact scene, like, the it is written type of thing, like, I couldn't help but, um, but think of Dune when I thought about that and, you know, the whole concept of just, like, how the desert is just kind of, like, its own, its own force with its own, with its own feelings, its own agenda. The, uh, the, also, the guy that played Auda. Yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the other, like, the other tribemen that, like, they, uh, that they teamed up with, basically, you know, to, to take, um, to take that town, like, he was fantastic, like, yeah, his, his, like, I'll say stage presence, like, was just, like, 
oh my god, I, he was fantastic. I, who, so who was he played by? He was uh, Anthony Quinn. Anthony Quinn. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, oh, I mean, it's just, you just can't gush enough about almost literally every aspect of this film. It's just like the acting, the cinematography, the sets, the. The extras, the I mean, the score we've talked about is a little yes uh, much. Our unpopular but, I mean, opinion. Still, about the, score the score is beautiful. Like the you know ninety five percent of the score is perfect. Yes, yeah. I mean, it is very epic. The first like couple times you hear it, and like it's not always. I didn't always have a problem with it. It's just I found it intrusive at points, and I found it very like musically. I found it to be a very strange choice, like where they were just kind of like meandering, you know, for what I I couldn't really understand as any particular reason. Um, but you know, that's neither here nor that's maybe more personal taste than anything. Cause, uh, obviously this, uh, this film did very well from a score perspective. I think, I mean, I, I can't, I th- is that the only Academy Award that this one was, was for oh, score? Really? Well, no cause I, well, I know that, um, I, I know that, uh, 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 Peter O'Toole. Best picture at one, best director one. Okay. Best original score, best cinematography, best art direction, best film editing, best sound. Yeah, but you know who didn't win? Friggin' uh, Peter O'Toole. Nope. Peter O'Toole didn't win, Omar Sharif didn't win, and the screenwriters didn't get did anything. He, That's did he nice. ever win an Academy Award? I feel like he didn't. Peter O'Toole? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Man, that's... No, no. Okay. Academy Award nominations. No, he never won. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that... Is, is that's... I mean, you know... I, I have a very low opinion of the Academy in general, um, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean, yes, fuck the Academy. Yeah, but, like, man, what what, what, a, what a robbery to have never, like, given him an Academy. I mean, like, he, he, he earned it for that movie, like, 20 times over. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just, I'm just looking at his list. In 1972, he got nominated for The Ruling Class, mm-hmm. and the winner of that was Marlon Brando, who declined. Oh God! So he lost to someone who didn't even want it. Fuck! Oh Jesus Christ! That man. hurts. That hurts. That is rough. All the other ones make sense though. It's like he lost to To Kill a Mockingbird. He lost to My Fair Lady. He lost to True Grit. He lost to Raging Bull, and he lost to Gandhi. Just like <laughs> yeah, okay, like yeah, sure. It's like <laughs> I see why he lost. Okay, I mean Robert De Niro and Raging Bull. I mean that is that exactly. is an incredible performance. So I can't. Uh, yeah. Although that being said, yeah. that same year, John Hurt did not win for the Elephant Man. That's a Ugh, that's fuck, that's yeah. a, that's a crime. That's a crime. I mean, Elephant Man's um Kubrick, right? Uh, no, uh, no, no, no. Elephant Lynch. Man is um, what's it? I thought, I thought it was... Did Twin Peaks? Yeah, Lynch. Yeah, yeah, Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, not Kubrick. Lynch. Yeah. Yeah, Lynch. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're never going to give Lynch an Academy Award, right? I mean, <sighs> yeah, because you know, it's Lynch. But my God, yeah, I mean, the elephant man, like that's, that's such a, uh, not to get off into such a different movie, but, uh, oh, we're, we're, yeah, we, we've already completely gone off topic. Um, but oh my God, he, uh, like that, that movie is so reserved for him, you know, like it's so like, I mean, compared to his other stuff and, but like, he just nails it. He just like that movie to me proves how good of a director Lynch is because you could, you could argue like having seen Lynch's movies that like all he can do is weird surreal stuff and like is it it's like is it actually good or is it just surreal and people say they like it but like mm. then you watch The Elephant Man you're just like no fuck you Lynch can do traditional filmmaking perfectly fine he just doesn't want to <laughs> yeah it's just boring for him yeah he's so good except for The Elephant Man which is just it's just oh my god that that movie yeah. is like to just say short words about The Elephant Man like 
that that movie is so compelling. Like you feel so bad for John Merrick throughout that movie. Like like the poor guy. <laughs> yeah, I've actually never seen Elephant Man. Oh, you've never seen Oh, dude. I've never seen it. You okay. Now I got to watch it apparently. You have to watch it. I mean, I don't Man. really I, I really don't want to watch it cuz I'm sure it's going to be crushingly sad, but Well, know. yeah. I mean, do you know the story of the Elephant Man? I mean, very bad sad tale. No, not really yeah, though. Yeah. It's not, not really. happy. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't want to get crushed. <laughs> um, but that being said, um, I think it was Mel Brooks that uh, that produced that movie. Yeah, I believe you're right. Which is hilarious, right? You know, it's like, I mean, Mel Brooks of all people, you know, Blazing Saddles and uh, like History of the World Part 1, all that stuff. It's like... It's Young like, Frankenstein, yeah, Spaceballs. Spaceballs and, and then The Elephant Man, you know? It's kind of like Miyazaki with... Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> or like, was it Miyazaki or was it just Studio Ghibli? But it's like, you know, uh, like uh, Totoro and Kiki's Delivery Service and fucking Grave of the Fireflies. Oh, God. Don't remind me about that movie. <laughs> oh, Ah, oh, jeez. Speaking of, I'm sorry, this is another non sequitur, but have you ever seen Ghost Story? Uh, no, um, it's just on our list. Of, do you want to do that one next? Ex- no, I do not want to do that one. I never, ever want to watch that movie again. Okay. I cried literally the whole time <laughs> okay. watching that movie. Like, it, that movie was the saddest thing I've ever seen. I cannot watch that again. Oh, boy. I mean, I'll talk about it with you, but I'm not going to watch oh, it Oh, that's again. fine. I can, I, I can, I mean, it's on our list to watch, so we can watch it. Yeah. God, oh my God, that movie is so fucking, it's not even really that, like, it's not like, it's not like the Elephant Man where I'm sure it's like actually really sad. Like the Ghost Story is kind of hopeful, actually, in a, in, in a weird way. It just it just made me cry the whole time. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. You know, it's funny you say that because like Grave of the Fireflies, right? Like that's the one that everybody says is like the crushing, horrible, like you're gonna cry the whole time movie. Mm-hmm. I have a very different opinion of that particular movie. Is in the sense that like I found that movie. Um, very frustrating. That was the thing that I took away from it. Um, oh, well, yeah, because it's like, ah, just like, go to an adult already. Yeah, exactly. It's kids. like, it's like you, you're, you're, you're in trouble. And like, I get that, like, you know, the adults are shitty in the world, but like, isn't that better than like suffering and dying? I mean, I guess that, uh, <laughs> yeah, the answer to that is no, apparently. The answer to that is no, apparently. Because, um, like, everybody finds out, it's like, oh, that movie's so sad. I'm like, that movie is so, like, dude, kid, take care of your fucking sibling. Jesus Christ. Yeah. You you fuck. What are you doing? Yeah, you you are you are the big brother, so you, you it would make sense that you would have that perspective. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, you are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, I, I don't find that movie sad. I find that movie very frustrating. And actually, it's interesting... Because from what I understand, so that movie is based on a true story. Um, the guy who wrote it, like that's he's basically saying that's essentially what happened. Oh God! Oh, I know it's fucking. I mean, that makes I it didn't even know that. more. That makes it. It's it's a very yeah. De- that's horrible. It's a depressing movie. You know, like I would say it, it. While being frustrating, it is definitely a depressing as shit movie. It's not sad to me, but it is very depressing. Um, but like he, basically, like his whole thing is he, like he made that movie as kind of like an apology, essentially. To like, or not, not oh. made the movie, but like he wrote the story because he, he didn't make the movie, but he wrote the story. He wrote the story like essentially is like like a, I have to get this on paper to like just you know like I'm sorry for like letting this happen. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh, so that's you know, terrifying. Yeah. Grave of the Fireflies. Spoilers. It's fucking sad as shit. Um, yeah. 
But uh, yeah. yeah, I think you'll find I think you'll find Ghost Story pretty pretty sad. Okay. Yeah. Will I find it? Um, will I find it? The Fountain sad. Ooh. Because that Ooh. movie. Uh, I know we already talked about yeah. that a few episodes ago, but like The Fountain Man, that movie. That movie hurts me. That movie. Hurts you know, me. actually, it's it's very very similar to The Fountain. Oh fuck, man! That like movie. the the kind of hurt that you get from The Fountain, you're gonna get from Ghost Story. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah. Uh huh. That's why I don't want to watch that shit again. The fa- You know, it's so funny to me that The Fountain was not better received, like by critics. Because it's like yeah, critics are stupid. They are stupid, man. Like I like I I can't believe that that movie did not get the love that it deserved. Because I mean, you know, on the list of uh friggin' you know what's his face his movies because that's um what's his name the guy that does the wrestler and he did uh, Terrence Malick the other guy the guy that you always confuse with Terrence Malick Terrence Malick no I was right Ter- Terrence Malick oh no no wait that's Tree of Life fuck you always I confuse really the always Fountain do. and Tree of Life yeah, I always do I always do <laughs> <laughs> you even said it and I still did it. Uh, Darren Aronofsky. Darren Aronofsky. Like, I mean, you know, it was because like a lot of his movies are like they're just they're just like you know hit you oh in the God, face with a baseball bat. Like, so like they're also crushing. Yeah, like like but his movies are usually like they're 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 not they're not just like they're not like sad like in a bittersweet way. They're sad like in a fucking mean way. Yes, yes. And and they are no. His, he makes mean films. He makes mean films. And The Fountain isn't mean. You know, the fountain is very bittersweet because, you know, it's like mm. the whole accepting death and all that. But like, oh, my God, Jesus Christ. Like, you can't do that to me. <laughs> like, it's <sighs> oh, it's brutal. But um, God, yeah. we could probably You're do a whole episode. On, we could do a whole episode on, on, on movies that uh, that make me sad. <laughs> Although that being said, I feel like there are two kinds of like sad movies. Because there's something like there's something like the fountain, and then there's something like um like uh, like AI, which I don't know yeah. if you ever watched. That's bittersweet. But AI is I feel like I feel like the fountain is a more genuine movie than something like AI, which feels very manipulative. Like I mean, it is manipulative. It is manipulative. Like like I feel yeah. like like at the end it's of the a Spielberg f- movie, dude. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Spielberg. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. It it's like that's what he does. That is what he does. It's like oh, I mean, I mean, yeah, fucking like uh, what is it? Um, I cried like a E. T. What E. T. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking, Save It Private Ryan. Yeah, ex- I mean, yeah, it's Spielberg is a is is one of the quintessential just like I'm gonna manipulate your emotions now. Yeah, it's like it's like hey, you know all your emotions? I have them tied to little strings, and I'm gonna make them dance. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, <laughs> dance puppets, dance. Because like at the fucking end of uh, end of Saving Private Ryan, you know, like the like the whole like like the tell me I'm a good man, you know, thing. Have you seen Saving yeah, Private or, Ryan? Or like the the old face morph. Yeah, they do at the end. Yeah, and then just he's like, just like, okay, sure, dude, pleading with like you know his like you know with his family, like tell me I'm a good man. I'm just like. I'm like, fuck you, Steven Spielberg. This is bullshit. You know what this is going to do to me, you asshole. He does. That's why he did it. Yeah. And, like, the same thing with AI. It's like, it's like I found AI. I didn't like the movie. Like, it wasn't really that good. You know, I was watching it. I'm like, this is kind of like a dumb movie for, like, 90% of it. And, like, then, in, like, not that Saving Private Ryan is a good movie. AI is, I don't really like. I don't think it's a very good movie. But at the yeah, end yeah, of it, yeah. I cried like a baby because he's just like, oh, hey, oh, here's the, the your sad emotion. Let me just pluck that a little bit i'm like oh you fucker <laughs> yeah yeah steven spielberg no i and i hate that i hate filmmakers who do that yes and i feel I'm like totally the honest. fountain is not that way i feel like the fountain is a very genuine like at the end no. of it i'm like yep i feel like i logically the, came to this emotion and nobody forced me into it the fountain is sad because it's so beautiful yes 
I agree. Which is with that. different than being sad because of being sad. Yeah, and it's like I'm sorry that audiences can't follow you know three different storylines enough to be sad at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Like, oh man. So do we have anything else to say about Lawrence of Arabia? I mean, I feel like it's just it's such an amazing movie that I can really just I can gush about it, but I don't really have anything like interesting to say almost yeah i I, despite the fact that we've been talking for two hours yes i i I think that we've said quite a bit about it um i think that like what what i'll say about is this is is is, for a movie that is a product of its time it's so much not a product of its time that it's amazing you know like it has it has it has anachronisms in the sense of like you know like like i was talking about with the the transitions and the score it's a very much an in-between movie in, in terms of, like, you know, filmmaking is really just starting to become modern at this point. And, like, the, yeah. you know, the things like... But the, this... Yeah. The things like the match this blowing This movie's out. leading that charge. Yeah. And, and like, the things like the match blowing out, cutting directly to the to the sunset, you know, and, like, the very, the very nuanced performance of Peter O'Toole and, you know, like, the amazing performances of everybody else in this movie. Like, this is, mm-hmm. this is, this is almost one... Th- I, 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 like I said, I don't know about enough about film his- history to say this definitively, but at least from my perspective, this feels to me like one of the the proto modern movies. You know, one of the movies that takes us into what modern cinema ends up becoming. If not the f- uh, if not the first, it's very close to the first. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, sorry, I'm just I'm I'm looking at French New Wave films and trying to figure out. Which are the ones I I knew I know came before Lawrence of Arabia, and so far none of them actually. Yeah. Well. So yeah. I and, mean, yeah. And the French New Wave. I know that that those movies were, and, and maybe Proto is the wrong word. Maybe this is one of the movies where because it, it because it is in the mainstream. Because those French movies weren't really, from what I understand, they weren't really in the mainstream. They were more movies that filmmakers had seen, but maybe not necessarily things that your average Hollywood yeah, audience no. had seen. No, yeah, almost guaranteed that they've seen none of those movies. So yeah. I would not be surprised if Lawrence of Arabia was the first time Hollywood audiences had seen those type of filmmaking techniques and this kind of like approach to movies um, before. That Lawrence of Arabia was kind of where this all really started for people. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're 100% right. I think if, if, if this is not one of the first like truly modern films, it's one of the first. Yes. And, you know, for anybody that like box at the four hour runtime to this movie and i imagine if you're listening to this podcast there's no way you are but just a lot of people balk yeah yeah but if you if you were to balk at that like a you probably watch five out four hour four or five hours of tv a night anyway so just you know do it in breaks man do it one hour at a time but like 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 i did but like and and i will say you can watch part one and part two as two movies oh yeah you could like, you could separate you can watch it. the first half stop at the intermission come back in a week and watch part two and you're not really gonna lose anything yeah they're very much two separate parts of a whole yes and this this movie it it it's flies by for being as long yeah, as this, it is it's amazing how well paced it is and just i mean you know i, I think the the last 30 minutes of part two are a little slow for me because mm-hmm. it's just it's at that point it's just the politicking happening yeah which is yeah you know usually usually i really like the politics but somehow that's 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 the least interesting part of this movie you know he does yeah, such a you, good job you lose out in all the, of the yeah you lose all those wonderful desert scapes and all like the i mean yeah and he's so good out in the field, like you know, that's where he's in his yes. element. And you know, maybe that's that's kind of part of it. You know, Lawrence is in his element out in the desert. He's not in his element in the politics. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very thematic, actually. It, You're right. Yeah. So I really enjoy it. So I mean, like, yeah. 
Jason and Steven recommend a, a beloved classic. Yes. Shocker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who'd have thought? One of the greatest films of all time is worth watching. Yeah. Uh, who knew? <laughs> yeah, I know. So anyway, Crazy. that's our hot take. Um, yep. <laughs> do you want to? Uh, do you want? Do you want? Do we want to pick a new movie? Yeah, sure. Let's pick one. All right. I I feel like we could watch my favorite French New Wave film, Le Samurai. Le Samurai. Le Samurai. All right. So next time, Le Samurai.